I can tell it's going to be one of those days, and we're going to tear up the church. It's starting to make me a little concerned, so. Okay. Children may be dismissed for Children's Church. Well, since we are tearing up the church today, this is the last day you get to sit in those pews. So if you want to carve your name, this is your last chance, okay? And I've been asked to keep it a little bit shorter so, you know, we can start tearing everything apart and you guys can change your clothes and whatever we need to do before we get that all started. So we're going to be done by two today, all right? Well, we did have some PowerPoint problems, and I think we're good to go because, you know, you can't preach without a PowerPoint. I mean, it's just essential. That's why the Apostle Paul always said, you know, got to have a PowerPoint. The PowerPoint was down. He said, go home. <laughs> Too addicted to it. But, you know, you spend so many hours doing your PowerPoint, you'd like it to, you know, kind of work during the week. So, And I'm a get-her-done type of person. I was like, oh, it's quit, but we're not done yet. We're going to go on today in our series that we started on breaking the chains, and we've been talking about addiction. We started out with this several weeks ago, and we've had some breaks in there, and we watched a video, and in the video it was a comic routine, and the guy that was a counselor told a lady that came in and shared her problems, struggles that she had, he said, stop it, that's it, just stop it, if you remember the video of your ear. And so we're talking about stopping it. And if you're visiting with us today, this is a series that I decided to do based on a couple different factors. One, of course, you know, I've mentioned this before, my mother passed away. It's going on two months ago now, and she was a lifelong addict. And she died going through withdrawals because she had some medical problems, and she was just not strong enough, and her body had been abused for a lifetime of drugs and alcohol, and she passed away. So. The Lord led me to do this. The other thing is that, as I mentioned before, I have been asked by two different groups that are helping to minister to addicts, and they asked me if I would be willing to put together a program, a 12-step program, using the 12 steps of AA, incorporating those, that would be more biblically uh, sound than what AA is now. Because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that AA was started by Christian men, uh, had good Christian principles, but over the years it has been watered down, it has been um, diluted and the gospel has been taken out and truth has been removed. And so I believe that's one of the biggest reasons why today that you don't have people seeing the change in their life because there's not the power of Jesus Christ in there. So I'm trying to include that back because there's not a lot of resources out there that are connected onto the 12-step program. A lot of people have said to me, what about Celebrate Recovery? That's a Christian group, and it's a good organization. It's been around. It's, it's a great group. But the problem is that they don't follow a 12-step program. And for those who have a court-appointed counseling or group they have to attend, most of the time the court says you have to go through a 12-step program. So I'm trying to help kind of ratify the 12-step program here. Hopefully, also, when we're going through this, we're getting some things from it also. And maybe that is in our life that we need to break some chains of addiction. Maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we would say, there's some things that I need to work on in my own life, if we were honest. Because as I've said before, we really get down on 
those that are drug addicts and alcoholics, but the truth is we're all addicts in one way or another. Hopefully we've got freedom from that in Christ, but we've all got issues. The other thing we're hoping to accomplish here is that we have empathies for others that have addiction. As I mentioned before, there's a lot of people that uh, didn't have much empathy after my mother passed away because they thought where she was a lifelong addict that she was worthless. And I would say to those people, your addict, your addiction, you're an addict just like she was. They are just a little bit more prettier, as the world you know, would say, than being an alcoholic or being a drug addict. And hopefully we have some tools to help others with their addictions and we can help them without just enabling them. As we've talked about before, I want to review really quickly. Addictions come in many forms, we need to know that, and we can fall into these categories of these conscious or subconscious addictions that each one of us has. We've spent many a weeks talking about that. And they're not always the bad things of the world because, as I've mentioned before, it can be things like exercise, it can be things like shopping. Now, in and of themselves, those things aren't wrong. But when they start to master us in our life and control us and putting us in bondage, then we've got issues. We talked about what the definition of addiction was. And addiction is defined as being unable to stop even when you want to. Even when you recognize that there are these things in your life that are destroying you, you say, I'm unable to stop. You believe in your mind that you cannot stop these addictions. An addiction is any pattern of behavior that you've developed to deal with your past hurts. Especially when you're a kid and things happen. We've talked about that and how we lock down our heart. And it's a choice that leads to a behavior that's in excess and it leads to bondage. So then we talked about the causes of addiction and I said they're very complex but there are three C's. Do I dare ask them this morning because we haven't talked about them. Communism, number one. Survey says, eh. three, that, somebody tell me, I'm deaf, come on, chromosomes is one of them, circumstances is one of them, but the, what's the third one, choices, there we go, does she have that up there for me? you're slipping her a little bit like, here you go, let's see him. Not communism, but that's a good one. Not Care Bears, all right? That's the other one. No, these are the things that get us into addictions. Now, it's not that we're just destined if our parents are alcoholics, but we're more bent in that direction. Circumstances, that's a big one. The way that we've seen people deal with their problems in life is the way that we're usually going to deal with them, especially if we've seen our parents deal with it. As in my case, with alcohol, you're more bent that direction. And then choices is the big one, the choices that we make in our life. The following week we talked about breaking the cycles of addiction, and I'm not going to go through each one of those for the sake of time today, but the main thing I said that we need to take away from that, breaking the cycle, is that these addictions start with wrong thinking. You start to have wrong thinking however that was developed, and it's developed by the world, it's developed by people in the world, what we see in the media, it's developed by our family. And we think that I can be happy, that my life is going to be alright if I just do these certain things. And so maybe that is alcohol, maybe that is spending money, maybe that's shopping, whatever that is, maybe that, that was exercise in your family. And it starts with that wrong thinking. Now before you flip to the next one, because I wanted to get this one. The first step, okay, 
the first step, and it wasn't last week, it was a week before, because last week was back to school Sunday. The first step is this. There's one word that I said I want you to remember. What's the word? Admit. That's the first step in breaking these addictions in our life. And I've said before, that's why I like um, these 12 steps of the 12-step program, because they are a bit of biblical. Because if you remember when we were talking about the Beatitudes, the first one was to be spiritually bankrupt. And it's getting to a point in your life where you recognize, you admit that there are some problems and that I have to start to deal with them in my life. And as I said last week, you know this, you cannot get anyone to just admit that they have a problem, whatever it is in their life. They have to be at a point in their life where they say, man, I realize that I've got some issues. There's some things that I need to work on. I've got some problems. You cannot make anyone admit. Now, you can show them the consequences, talk to them about it, but this is, a, this is just a, a point where you're getting to the stage where you say, I'm done. Man, I don't have anything more to offer. I'm completely done. I admit that there's a problem. And that's the first step of AA. We have, we've admitted that we were powerless over our problem and that our life had become unmanageable. I don't have the power over this sin in my life and I need to do something about it. So this is the second step we're going on this week. First we've got admit, and then the second step is that you have to believe. So we have admit, and then the second word you gotta remember is believe. I've got to admit that I have a problem, and then I have to believe something. And that's the start of believing and accepting in God. Believing and accepting in God. Not just believing, but also accepting. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And so the springboard verse that we're going to use today, because as we go through this series, I'm not just most of the time going to use just one passage and just really hammer home that passage. I'm going to be using a lot of different ones. But the springboard that I use today is Isaiah 41.10. And as we go into this believing, look at this picture here, because I'm going to refer back to it at the end. But we have a child who is taking, if you want to call it, a leap of faith. Now... Faith is, you know, just doing something and not knowing exactly how it's going to look. And we have this child here who is saying, I'm jumping into my father's arms. I know he's going to catch me. And that is part of this step. We are at the point where we're going to start to believe in something. We're going to start to have faith in something. Something that we trust in. And God says this in Isaiah 41.10. He says, and I think that this really summarizes up what this step is, the second step. He says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And God says, you know what? I want you to jump. I want you to take a leap of faith, and I'm going to catch you with my strong arms. And that is our second step today. The second step is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. A power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. First step is that you admit. And that means that you feel empty. You're at a point where you say, I have nothing to offer. I can't get myself out of this. I have some big issues. 
and I don't know what to do, and you're feeling empty. And the second step is here, if I would call it anything, is hope. You hope that there is a power greater than yourself that's going to restore you to sanity. So you're crying out, Oprah, help me! Scooby-Doo, where are you? That's the problem with this, is that when you go to a secular AA, then they're hoping that you can you know, find some God, whether that's Oprah, or whether that's Allah, or whether that's the fuzzy pink bear, I don't know. And they're saying, it's something that's bigger than you. And I'll tell you, the most important thing of this step is that you need to find the true God, Jehovah, and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how your life is going to be changed. That is the hope of this second step. And we come to a place where we say, you know what, I need something in my life that is greater than me to restore me to sanity. Now, we know the definition of insanity. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. I mention it every so often. The definition of insanity is repeating the same action over and over again and expecting different results. And so you get to the point where you say, I don't know what I'm doing. I admit that, that I got some problems, and now I need some extra help. I need something that is stronger than me, more powerful than me. And it's not found in Dr. Phil. It's found in the Lord. And he's going to restore me to sanity. Because it's implying here that you are insane. And I, I look at us in our world and our lives and even my own life. I'm not exempt from it. And we do the same things over and over again. And we expect there's going to be this different result. Sanity. And God says, I'm going to help break that cycle of addiction. You're going to do it through the power of me. So what does it mean to believe? If I were to ask you that, the simplest definition is to accept as true or real. Something that you say, I believe that that is true. I believe that that's real. And so you're accepting a higher power. You're believing that that is God. Interesting passage in the book of James, chapter 2. James says this in verse 19 through 20. And he's speaking to a group of Christians here, a group of believers. But there were some in there that apparently, and we don't have a lot to, you know, time to get into the background of this, but there were some that they were calling themselves Christians, but there was no evidence of the transformation in their life. And so James is going to address this in his letter to the church, but he says this, he says, you believe that there is one God. He says, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? What he's saying there is, you know, some of you are saying that you believe God. You believe in God. Awesome. That's really great. That's the first step. But we need to see some transformation in your life. We need to see some change because that's what the message of Christ is about. Now, there will be those that will teach this passage and they will say, you know what, there are certain things that you need to do in your life and you're, if you're not doing A, B, C, and most of the time they dictate it, or if you are doing, you know, X, Y, Z as far as maybe dancing or smoking or whatever it is, this church in the past, 30 years ago, was notorious for that, then maybe maybe that you're not saved okay 
What he's saying here is that you, if you're saved in Christ by his blood, his work, great. But we're concerned because we don't see any transformation. And the Christian life is about transformation. He's saying there needs to be a change. We need to see something here. And so there's a difference between believing and accepting. Okay, let me explain this. Believing and accepting. I'm going to use one of the church new chairs here as an illustration. New chair, right from China. Okay. Hopefully you're trusting that Chinaman that made this chair well. And you could ask me, do you believe that there's a chair here? If I were to ask you that today, is there a chair here? Do you believe that? And most of you would say, yes, that you believe that there is a chair here. Now, that would be believing, okay? I'm mentally agreeing that there's a chair here. We're all in agreement. Now, the accepting part is this. I can believe that there's a chair here. I can believe that it's well built. It seems well built. It seems nice. But am I going to take the action step right now? Am I going to believe that this chair is going to support me? Am I going to then make the choice to sit down? Take that. Here I go. Let's check it out. There we go. All right. That's kind of comfy. It's bad. I can believe the chair's here, but I have to make the decision to sit down. I have to accept that this chair is going to hold me up. And so there's a difference between believing and accepting. Now, this is not a new illustration. This has probably been around since the day of Christ and chairs would have been around, okay? And there's some problems with this illustration. Uh, this is what Bible school students sit around and argue about at Bible college, okay? They tear these illustrations down of what the problem is. And there are some problems like with all human illustrations, all right? Because if I'm making the choice to accept and I believe this chair is going to hold me up, it's based on what? It's based that I've sat on a chair before. It's based on I've sit, seen other people sit on this chair. I see Clark sitting on the chair back there. It seems to be holding it up, him up, so it must be a good chair. It's holding him up, so I'm just going to sit down. This faith that we're talking about, this believing, is somebody getting to the point in their life where they're saying, you know what, other people say that they're Christians and that I see a change in their life maybe, that's been the example before me, but I've never been here before. What happens if we just captured somebody from the jungle that's never seen this chair and we said, sit down? Never sat in a four-legged chair like this. Maybe they would be a little bit, they didn't know how to do it. I don't know if it's going to hold me up. And that is the type of faith that we're talking about here. Not just believing, but believing that this is going to support me all my weight, all my burden, that I'm going to be able to place it in this chair, and I'm going to then act on that. I've struggled this week putting this message together because hopefully everyone here that's listening to me this morning has done that in their life. I realize as I put this together for this program, I'm going to have to go back because this is going to be for people that are not Christians, maybe never heard about Jesus Christ. So I'll modify that. But hopefully that we have got to the point in our lives where we've believed and we have accepted. We have said, I trust in that. So the work of this first step, number one, we begin to reestablish our relationship or establish 
our relationship with God for the first time. We line ourselves, so to speak, up on that starting line and we say, you know what? Maybe there was a time when I, I believed in God, but you know what? Maybe if I was honest with myself, I've never really accepted I've never really trusted Him. I've never just gave it over to Him and just sat down. Maybe I did it one time. Maybe I know that I'm saved. I put my faith in Christ. I realize that that's secure, but I'm not trusting in Him. I don't trust in Him. I'm not living it out in my life. And it's not the beginning of faith of God. Now, what I'm trying to say in that is, it's not like that now God exists. Sometimes that there's that wrong, crazy thinking out there. It's that now that I begin to have faith. Faith in my life. And that's giving ourselves the opportunity to experience faith and a power that's greater than ourselves. We're saying, I'm allowing you, I'm allowing you, self, to now experience this faith, to trust. And as I said before, we get to a point where we need a power beyond ourselves to help and to heal. So going back to the second step, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I want to talk about this belief because there's a couple different things that we need to know about this. I, I think as we go into this that I don't think that AA, if you read um, the Big Red Book, the Little Red Book, all the books that they have that go along with AA, I've never really seen this explained in it, but I think it's important. Of course, we've talked about trusting in God, and so work with me here. I'm going to use the illustration of money, okay? Because it says it on all money. We trust in God. Nation, but we got it on our money, so it looks cool, I guess. As much money as we keep printing, you know, you think that we'd have a lot of that word out there, and so maybe it would start to sink in, but it doesn't. There's a couple of stages I want us to realize of this believing. The first one is that God has the means to help us. God has the means to help us. On the other side, He's got the desire to help us. Remember those two words, means and desire when we're believing in God. Now, let me try to illustrate this. When you have kids, especially when you have teenagers, they come to you and they ask for money, okay? Our girls aren't terrible about it. They're, they're making their own money now, so I actually borrow money from them. Um, <clears throat> I'll pay you back next year. But kids come to you and they ask for money. Now, when they ask you for money, there's a couple of things that are going on there, okay? First of all, do you have the means to give them that money? But more importantly, do you have the desire to give them that money? Okay? So when they ask you for 20 bucks, you might have the means, but they're questioning whether you really have the desire to give them 20 bucks. And you say, no, I'm not giving you 20 bucks. I'm not going to give you. Do you have 20 bucks, Dad? I got 20 bucks, but I'm not giving it to you. It's my money got ammo to buy. The price keeps going up. Come on. And so there's a difference between means and desire. And so when we look at God, we've got some wrong thinking when it comes to asking Him, believing in Him. And so this is what we need to do to recognize these problems. I'm going to get back to the means and desire here. 
Because as I said, God does have the means. Whether we believe it or not, God has the means. And a lot of times when we don't believe in God, we don't think he can help us, it's because we don't believe that he has the means to do it. I'm not going to trust this. I'm not going to believe this chair is going to hold me up because I don't think it has the means even to. I don't think it even is capable of it. I will have people say this to me all the time. They will say, oh yeah, I believe in God and he's, maybe he did create the universe, but he can't help me with my problems. Really. The God that created the universe with a word cannot help you with your problems. Ah, they're too big for God. Nobody wants to help me, and God wouldn't want to help me. And ah, they're just—they're too big. I don't even know where I'd start. And God does have the means. A lot of times, we will have a wrong view of God, and this first step is that we need to recognize—we need to recognize when we have these wrong things, thinking of God that God does have the means. And a lot of times this wrong thinking comes from, I'll say bad parenting, maybe abusive parents. And so a lot of the ways that we look at our Heavenly Father is the way that we were treated by our earthly father. And if you're like me and never had one, I will substitute my grandfather in there, the closest form of father that I had. And he was very abusive. And so we don't think that God has the means because we have a wrong view of him. We think that, you know, he's abusive. We think that he doesn't really want to help us. And he doesn't really even have the means to help us because he's not powerful over sin. And the truth is there's nothing that God can't do. Put it in the terms of money. I mean... What would it be? There would be no number on the money that he would have. He would say, I've got all of it, and I'm willing to give it to you. The national debt, whatever, what is it at? Like $8 trillion or something like that? $13, un, you know, unaccounted for, it's like more like $20 trillion. I was reading, and if you would take even eight, seven, about $6 trillion, that is the equivalent of spending like $5 uh, what is it, a minute ever since Christ was born? That's, that's not even what our, our national debt is. It's, it's unbelievable when you start talking in the trillions. I mean, I've seen them and I don't even remember them. I was going to look them up. I forgot. But if you took our national debt and you put in stacks of money, how far it would go to the moon. The moon! Put it end to end the dollars, you know. I mean, and God has trillions, so to speak. Now, now, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the resources that he has. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, God's speaking here, and he says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. God says, I've got the means. If you're going to believe in me, I have the means. So we need to recognize, first of all, that God has the means. The second one is that we need to trust. That's our second word, is we need to trust. And God unconditionally gives to all that ask. Because he has the desire to help. He wants to help you. We think of the abusive parents that, that maybe don't have the means, and then we think, well, they don't have the desire to help me either. And God says, I will help you. 
I will help you, and I will help all those who ask. But the thing about this father is that he's a wise father, and he gives his children only what they need, and that is when they need it. Because if my kids come to ask me, you know, and they say, you know, can we have 20 bucks? Well, what's the 20 bucks for? It's for weed. First of all, I say, where are you getting weed for 20 bucks? You know, I don't know what weed's going for these days. And I would say after that, I don't think I'm going to give you money for weed or for crack or for anything else that's going to arm you. I might have the means, but my desire is for you. So what I'm saying here is, I don't want us to get this wrong thinking here, that that means that God's going to provide anything that I want to. God, I want this, or I want to do this, and so you should provide it for me, because you don't hold back. You love me unconditionally. And God says, yes, I do love you unconditionally. That's why some things I'm not going to give you what you think you need. I grew up in a home that pretty much anything that we wanted to do was just fine. We could just, basically, if we didn't kill ourselves or anybody else, we were, we were allowed to do it. Kind of ironic, my brother did both. He killed himself and somebody else. The problem is that you could just, it was a free-for-all. And God says, I'm not going to allow that to happen because you are my child. So we need to trust. I was thinking about how to speak about this, to talk about the wrong thinking that we have, because our wrong thinking is that God just does not desire to help us. And I think a lot of times, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, we think about it, now I'm going back to the money illustration here, we think of it as kind of the loan, the loan type of mentality. Now, follow me through this. Um, the first step of applying for a loan, how many of you have applied for a loan? If I had to raise a hand, most of you have applied for a loan. Okay, this is a little plug for you know financial piece that Jason's gonna be doing, so gonna be coming up here. If you've applied for the loan, now I've simplified these steps, of course, but the first step involves you filling out an application. There's something that you wanna buy, house, car, gun, whatever it is, and so you decide, I need some money. I need to get a loan from a financial institution, and so I'm going to visit them, I pick up an application I'm going to fill out. It's only 500 pages, you know, you're carrying out, it's like this. I get a wagon, you're pulling behind you. And they say, fill it out, bring it back. You fill it out, you bring it back. Of course it has questions of your financial history. That's the second step, because the bank wants to know that. The bank begins to take into account your history your financial history as it pertains to how you've handled your finances in the past is what I'm meaning. By this they determine if you will do the same thing in the future, whether it's good or bad. If you've paid your debt off, if you've made a certain amount of money by having this job, they weigh all these things and they say, you know what, he's paid off his debt, he's got a good job, we'll loan them the money, which is the third step. Based on what they've determined about your credit worthiness, they may or may not approve your loan, but hopefully they do. But if you've been, you know, slacking on your finances, you made some bad financial decisions, they'll say you're too much of a risk and we don't want to get involved. And I'm losing, you're going, what does this all have to do? This is the way that I believe that we think that God operates when it comes to us believing and trusting, accepting Him. 
But the truth is that God does not operate in this way. He does not base his help on our past failures or the return in the future. Because a lot of people, whether this is conscious or subconscious, when it comes to believing God, that he is the higher power that can restore us to sanity, they will say, you know what? Ugh. I've admitted that I've got problems and failures of the past. Ugh. God sees everything, so he knows those things. And if I was honest with myself, I'll probably get back into it, maybe. Even if I'm wanting not to, I probably the reality is that I'm going to have those times I'm going to struggle. I don't think I want the God to be involved in this. Because I'm going to let him down. Why would he even help me in the past? You know, anyway, because of my past. I wouldn't even help myself if I was honest. And God says, I will help you. I don't care where you've been, what you've been involved with. I don't care your failures of the past. I don't care what you're going to do in the future. I'm concerned about you. Right here, right now. Now, he has a little bit of advantage because he's all-knowing and all-seeing. So he, can know, he knows what you're going to do before you even do it in the future. But even think about that. He knows the mistakes you're going to make before you even make them. And he says, I'm still willing to invest in you. And that's when you just accept it and say, I accept God's help. I'm believing in him. I'm accepting and I'm going to trust in him. Because it's not based on what I've done in the past. It's not based on even what I'm going to do in the future. It's based on him. His power. God says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us. God says, I have given my son for you, the Lord Jesus Christ, for you. He goes on to say that he's going to freely give all things. He says, I have given my son, trust me. If I'm willing to give my son for you, what else am I not going to do? If I would allow my daughters to die for a criminal, if there was a situation where you know, my daughters were going to take the place of a criminal and they were going to sit in the electric chair and that person was going to go free, and I chose to allow my daughters to sit in that electric chair to die for them, do you think I would want to help that person when he's been released and set free? Do you think I would like to see him succeed or fail? Think about it. Would I want him to succeed or fail in the life he's going to lead now? I guarantee you I'd want to see him succeed. And I would personally help in that anyway because why? Because my daughter died for you. She replaced her life for yours. Now you need to make something of your life. Do something with it. And God says, I sent my son. What more can I do? And I'll do it. I've done the ultimate already. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I've experienced it. Man, I've been around. I've had things happen. And I have sat in the chair of acceptance. And he has held me up. Because he's rich. So the perspectives of a new beginning are this. 
that we're not alone. You're not alone in your struggle because as I said, the first step, if you admit it, you feel like you're empty, you feel alone, you don't know what to turn to, and now God says, you're not alone in this. I'm here for you and I'm gonna strengthen you through your struggle. As I did last time, I'm going to do every step that we go through. This is the prayer, and as I said last time, that this is the heart condition. This is not a magic, sprinkled dust prayer that's going to change your life. This is a prayer that is the heart condition behind this step. And that is saying, Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, understanding now that He is your Heavenly Father because you've put your faith in Him, and hopefully taken it one step further, you have truly became a child of God because you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in my heart that only you can restore me to sanity. I humbly ask that you remove all twisted thoughts and addictive behavior from me this day. Heal my spirit and restore me in the clear mind. Saying, God, I'm trusting in you right now. So the question I leave you with today is, do you believe that God has both the means and the desire to help you in your situation? both the means and the desire. Going back to our picture that we started with, you've got the boy that's jumping off. And he is trusting his father at that point because he knows his father is strong enough to catch him. He knows that, he's trusting in that. He has the means to do that. But more importantly than the means, he has the desire. Even if this kid weighed 400 pounds and the dad weighed 85, you know, you've been there dads, he would end up catching him. Now, it might be a little bit more of a fall, but he's going to do everything he can to catch his son. Because why? Because of the desire of a father. He cares for you. He loves you. And I would do anything for my daughters. Absolutely anything. So much, I will tell them no. And I am the man keeping them down from having fun and making you know, bad choices. That's how much I love my daughters. Why? Because I have the desire. I care for them. And I think that if people would start to understand that God does have the means, He can help me with my addiction, and more importantly, that He has a desire. You know what changes people's lives? Unconditional love. If you want to see lives transformed, you want to see addictions that are transformed, that are gone, unconditional love because why because I can be a testimony to that I've said it before when we were at the children's home when we were um, teaching parents at Christian Heritage Children's Home they had a we had eight state ward kids these were teenagers and they have all the program for these kids to go through it's it's not a bad program but you don't see any change lies from it and I'm not bragging at all you know me this is nothing but just the grace and power of God, but the time that we were there, we had some of the biggest turnarounds with the girls that we had in the home. Even the director, who'd been a director for almost 20 years, said, I've never seen kids change so much. It's been such a hard group of kids. I mean, they didn't tell us that when we came. I mean, it didn't take long to figure it out, but such a hard group of girls and see them change. And he said, I don't even know what your secret is, really. I can, I can kind of, says, no secret. It's one thing, and it's unconditional love. Did I want to love those girls? Absolutely not. Did I? Was I capable? Nope. That was all through the power of Christ. 
but we showed those girls unconditional love for the first time in their life and I guarantee you they got off addictions, they even got off the, the state regimen of drugs that they had because their life was changed because they experienced unconditional love. It just came through my wife and I. Not perfectly, but like I say, passionately. And that is what changes people's lives. When you start understanding that there's a Heavenly Father that cares about you, loves you unconditionally, that helps, that wants to help to restore you to sanity, your life will be changed. Close the word of prayer. Lord, you know us as people. And a lot of times we will say that we believe in you. And, and there are those here this morning, Lord, that they know that they know that they know they have put their faith and trust in you, that they have believed the work of your Son. Lord, it's hard for us to take that step of accepting, to truly give our lives over to you, to trust in you, because we have some wrong thinking of the past. Lord, as we prayed here, I pray that you would just remove that wrong thinking of the past, replace it with your truth, and that we would start to continue in a relationship with, with you, Lord, that you want the best for us in being our Heavenly Father. And Lord, there are those that go through this and uh, they have no idea as far as a program um, who you are. And I pray, Lord, that even those that, that thousands of people in this country right now, they're going through a 12-step program, I pray that they would come to know the one and true God, Lord, Jehovah. That they would trust in you, not in the higher power, whatever they deem the higher power to be. And so, Lord, uh, thank you for, for loving us enough to send your son that you can start this process of loving people being connected with them the walls being broke down so we do have the power to live changed life and i pray that we would accept that lord we pray that you would be with us this morning as we continue to um, make plans and uh, to work and, and tear the church apart lord we thank you for just for your provision to um, just restore the church and Lord, we pray that not only it be a time of work, but it would be a time of fellowship. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.